I remember that I was in an orphanage for the first two months of my life, and I'm so physically connected to my children after I have them, and they me. And I couldn't imagine not having them at just to respond to their every need at every moment, especially in that first couple of months. And I envisioned myself in this crib with, you know, I'm sure I had wonderful care with the nurses, but who did I bond with and who responded to my needs on demand? What have you? So that kind of haunts me almost. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and on today's show is Julie. She called me from Los Angeles, but she was born and raised overseas until she was 15. She describes herself as very independent from her parents' influences and drastically different than her older adopted brother. Julie tells the story of finding her birth mother thanks to open access legislation in Australia and the gentle influence of a psychic she visited for fun. When her mother shared that her birth father could only be one person because there were only two men in her life, it took a long time, a bit of disappointment, and some DNA investigation and luck to determine there had been a third man. Listen as Julie tells her story of going back and forth across the globe. This is Julie's journey. Julie was born and raised in Melbourne, Australia. Her mom is an American, and when Julie was 15 years old, they moved to the U.S., specifically to Washington State, leaving that fun Aussie accent behind. Julie's always known she was adopted since before she truly knew what it meant. She starts off telling the story her mother always shares about the day they met. My parents used to tell a story about the day they went baby shopping for me. <laughs> they dropped my brother off at my at my grandmother's and went to the, the baby store, looked at all the babies in the crib, and came across me and as wide as I was tall, and I looked up and smiled at her, and they decided I was the one. <laughs> wow, that's so funny. <laughs> um, yeah, so... and. Truth be told, I'm sure I was the only one available to them that day. <laughs> she likes to tell the story. Yeah, that's You know, funny. she likes to make it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I always liked the story. Mm -hmm. It was fun. So as far as what it was like, I have, uh, I have mixed feelings about how to share this because it comes across sometimes as negative and has been used against me in the past. Mm -hmm. But I have a... Relatively normal childhood. I had two loving parents. I had a brother. I had extended family. Um, you know, so everything was normal. Um, I did have an overwhelming feeling that I didn't belong. And I couldn't really express that. And I didn't know how to explain it to people around me. Mm -hmm. So it was always just kind of this itch that I had. Like, why don't I, why don't I want to do that like them? Or why don't they get that I want to do this? Like, like um, what? Can you give me an example of what you mean? So they're they're very conservative, um, kind of by the book people, not especially outgoing or creative or uh, artistic. I guess um, more sports minded, um, which and I am the exact opposite of that. Mm. I, I have been, you know, singing and dancing and acting and making things since before I can remember. <laughs> So, and I just wanted to 
creates and, you know, dance and sing and what have you. And my parents could not wrap their heads around my desire to do that because they had no desire to do that. They thought it would be more beneficial for Julie to have hobbies that would actually benefit her in the future. They just couldn't see how she could make a living singing, dancing, or being artistic. She says her family are some wonderful, extraordinary people. There was just a disconnect between them and herself that pushed her further down the path of curiosity about who she is and where she came from. She has one brother who's a year and a half older than she, and they couldn't be any more different, she says. They've been estranged for many years. He was also adopted, but the siblings are so opposite to one another that he all but denies his adoption. His wife and children didn't even know. When I asked Julie about how adoption was discussed in her family, she said she was the only one who wanted to talk about it, which clued her parents in that she'd likely want to search for her birth family. They did the very best they could answering her questions, and she always tried to be sensitive to her parents' feelings on the topic. I've always been very sensitive to the fact that what I'm doing may hurt them or may feel hurtful. And in fact, the only time in this entire process that I have felt emotional, like deep down guttural emotional, is when things had to do with my parents. For example, when I first connected with my biological mother 25 years ago, um, the first thing I did, I, and I didn't cry when I talked to her or when I spoke to her the first time, I mean, or when I met her the first time. But what I did do was after I got off the phone, it was the middle of the night, I crawled into bed with my parents and I wrapped myself around my mom and just cried myself to sleep uh. because I felt I was kind of feeling empathy for her. Like I wanted her to know that I wasn't trying to replace her and that she was my mom. So that's always been in my mind as, as, as much as we weren't a fit, a good fit, I've always, they've always been my parents. And will always be my parents. In Washington, Julie kind of lived in her own apartment during her senior year of high school. Her father moved to Los Angeles to find more work in his field, and her mother spent a lot of time there with him. They sent her money, and her mother's cousin came over to check on her from time to time. Julie says that setup is indicative of how independent she's always been from her parents. Her brother moved back to Australia when he graduated from high school, but when Julie graduated, she moved in with her parents in Los Angeles. She was living with her parents in L.A. when she found her biological relatives. In 1987, Julie made a trip home to Australia, and on a whim, she and her best friend visited a psychic. During the session, the person seemed to be making generalities about Julie. So, I, you know, I was waiting for something groundbreaking for her to say, and nothing really happened. However, at one point, she said, so when did your parents divorce? And I said, well, my parents are still together. They've never divorced. And she said, well, why do I keep getting to two sets of parents? I said, well, Whoa. I am adopted. And said, oh, yeah. And she said, oh, okay. That's, that's what it is. That's why I'm getting two sets of parents. That's interesting. Um, yeah. But, and then she went on to tell me that she believed that my mother was um, a very famous Australian actress. <laughs> Oh, and God. that I should seek her out and what have you. And I was at that point, I was like, oh, come on. The psychic session was turning out to be useless until the person told Julie about the Adoption Act of 1984. The Australian legislation granted adoptees access to their records, and when her records arrived over a year later, they were completely identifiable. She had her birth mother's name and address and her birth father's name. 
She was eager to learn more about the people she came from and why she was placed for adoption. In the hobbies section, the document listed her parents' interests, like her father's affinity for cars and mechanical hobbies, and her mother's love of swimming, sewing, and sports. And then there was kind of like a dot, 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 almost like an ellipsis. And then written much smaller, but as an afterthought, it said singing. Really? And that was my aha moment. Yeah. It was like, okay, all right, that's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my, yeah. I was like, finally, somebody that I'm connected to, genetically connected to, that likes using their voice, you know, at least as much as I do, mm-hmm. to where they would actually list it as a hobby. Julie received her records from the Methodist Babies Home, the orphanage that she lived in for the first few months of her life. In the early 80s, the Babies Home changed into the Copeland Street Family Center with a focus on reuniting families. When Julie returned to Australia the second time after receiving her records, she went to the building where she spent the first days of her life. When I went back to, you know, the next time I went back, I went and looked at the place and uh, stood outside the gates and kind of stared at it for a while. I can imagine. That must have been crazy. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it was. It, it was, for me, I, I've often, after I had my kids especially, I remember that I was in an orphanage for the first two months of my life, and I'm so physically connected to my children after I have them, and they me. And I couldn't imagine not having them at just to respond to their every need at every moment, especially in that first couple of months. And I envisioned myself in this crib with, you know, I'm sure I had wonderful care with the nurses, but who did I bond with and who responded to my needs on demand? what have you so that kind of haunts me almost yeah yeah you know i kind of feel like it almost explains a lot of my insecurities and feelings that you know issues that a lot of adoptees have yeah i could see that being true i wonder too if you feel that part of the reason you are so physically connected to your children is because you lacked that bond in the beginning like do you feel like you're overcompensating as an adult kind of thing Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I would I would say so. I was shocked when I had my daughter how important it was for me to be skin to skin. And, you know, we had a we uh my kids slept in the bed with me. I couldn't have done it any other way. And you know, it was such a strong I was overwhelmed by the emotion I felt when I had them, especially my daughter the first time. Um, because I couldn't it never occurred to me the love that I would feel and the connectedness that I would feel to them. And that's what spurred me to move on to my, to completing my search and looking for my father. So Julie has uncovered the connections to her biological parents as documented in her records. She left it to the caseworker to reach out to make connections to her first family. For months, there were delays. Caseworkers left the agency and the process was going too slowly for Julie. So she looked at the papers again, coincidentally, the day before Mother's Day in 1989. The papers had her birth mother's name, her parents' names, and their address with the town they lived in. Julie called the international operator, who connected her further with the operator in the Australian town where her mother grew up. Her birth mother had a very common surname, so she asked for everyone's contact information with her birth mother's first initial and last name. 
The operator was only allowed to give Julie a few phone numbers, but she said she could call back if she needed more. Julie called the first number and asked to speak with her birth mother by her first and last name. The woman who answered apologized that there was no one there by that name, sharing that it was her husband who had the last name Julie asked for, not herself. She was about to hang up and then she said, you know, I went to school with a Lynette. Really? I oh said, my God. Really? Yeah. And I said, do you think, well, well, how old would she be right now? And she said, well, she'd be 45 and 46. And I said, uh, that sounds about right. <laughs> and that may be her. And she said, you know what? You're calling from so far away. Why don't I do a little research here around town and uh, call me back in 24 hours and we'll see. You know, maybe I'll, I'll have found something else for you. Are you kidding How me? Amazing That's is that? incredible. No, it happens all the time to me. I don't know why. <laughs> Apparently, Australians are very open and welcoming, so Julie was surprised by the woman's generosity with her own time to do some research. Overwhelmed by the possibility that she had a lead already and sensing she needed to slow down a little, Julie didn't call any other phone number on her list. So 24 hours go by. It's now Mother's Day in Australia, by the way. I oh. called the woman, and I wish I had her name. I didn't write her name down. I don't remember, and I feel so badly that I didn't ever get to thank her. But she gets on the phone, and she said, Julie, I have your mother's phone number for you. <laughs> what? I said, what are you talking about? So this woman, her father was a taxi driver in this small town. And basically knew everybody in the town. And he drove up to my grandfather's house and knocked on the door and said, there's an American looking for Lynn. And my grandfather gave this taxi driver my mother's phone number because she lived on the other side of the country at this point. Uh, no questions asked. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And isn't that nutty? So I, um, so I had my mother's phone number. That's incredible. And I know. So did you call her? What so did you do? Happened. Were you astonished or did you continue to just I dive in? I was astonished and I wanted to dive in, but, uh, there was a part of my brain that was able to intellectualize that it was mother's day in Australia. She likely had other children. They were probably at her home and maybe would right then would not be the best time to call out of the blue. Wow. Good for you. So I went to bed. But I'm sure you can imagine Julie couldn't sleep. It was very likely that she was going to make contact with her birth mother right after Mother's Day. She tossed and turned until 3 a.m. when she gave up. So I decided through that I'm going to rip the bandaid off. Oh, wow. So I went back to the phone, and I called. And this lady answered the phone, and I said, is this Lynette Price? And she said, yes, it is. I said, did you have a baby on April 7th, 1965? And she said, yes, I did, just very calmly. <laughs> and I said, well, I believe that baby is me. And her reaction was nothing short of delight. Really? She, I, I think she had a feeling, well, okay, so my grandfather had called her after he'd given the taxi driver her phone number yeah. and said, there's an American looking for you. I gave her your phone number. <laughs> wow. So 
she was like, I wonder what that's about. And her husband actually was the one to say, it's that daughter of yours. She's looking for you. Are you serious? Really? Wow. Yeah. Well, they were, they actually got engaged when my mother was pregnant with me. And one of the reasons that I was in the orphanage for such an extended period of time is they were trying to decide whether or not to keep me. During that very first conversation, Julie's mother shared some of the history of her adoption. Lynette had a one-time fling. The father wasn't interested in the baby and really only cared about himself at the time. Lynette's pregnancy was a secret that only her mother and sister knew about. She spent the final two months of her pregnancy in a home for unwed mothers. Lynette started dating her current husband while she was pregnant, and he took everything in stride, even considering raising Julie with her. They got married when Julie was three months old. Julie said at that moment in time, as she spoke with her mother, she really just put the paternal information on the back burner. Lynette had said the father wasn't interested then, so they figured the same might still be true at that time. They exchanged photos, but Lynette said she didn't see any of the father in Julie's face. All of that happened in May. In October 1989, Julie's best friend Sharon, the one she went to visit the psychic with, was getting married, and Julie was going home to Australia for the event. So I flew to Western Australia, and they picked me up, and I spent a week at their house with uh, one of my brothers and my sister and her newborn child. And uh, then I got on a bus because there was an airstrike at the time and took a bus across Australia to go and go for my friend's wedding. And then my mother followed me to Melbourne to introduce me to her family because she had, what, five brothers and sisters, I guess. And I had a ton of cousins and my grandfather was still alive at the time. And we had a reunion. Yeah. And I got, and Actually, the coolest thing probably for me was I had an opportunity to be on a TV show and sing when I was there. Really? And something, yeah, and something that my parents had never really been interested in doing, not because they didn't, weren't supportive, but because they felt out of place, was being with me at these events, like coming to support me as a, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So she actually came to the studio with me, and it was really touching because, you know, I would meet different people and, you know, when I production assistants and what have you, and she would make a point to say, I'm the mother. <laughs> I'm the so mother. <laughs> yeah, it was really cute. I was like, oh, nobody's ever done that before. Julie spent a few more weeks in Australia bonding with everyone. Then she returned to the States and got on with her life. Social media was taking off, so Facebook made it easier for her to stay in contact with Lynette and her maternal family. Oh, and remember how Lynette's husband, John, immediately assumed that the American looking for Lynette must be her long-lost child? Well, guess who also had a child come forth and identify themselves? A few years after Julie met Lynette, a previously unknown child of John's showed up as well. Julie and I talked a bit about how there could be so many fathers out there, like my own when I found him, who don't know they have a child who is waiting to possibly meet them. Fast-forwarding in Julie's life, she had a daughter, and like so many adoptees, she began to see that the jigsaw puzzle was missing pieces. She was a part of me and my husband. So I felt like my kids needed to know their maternal and paternal connections, uh, and so did I. But the search for her father was a lot more complicated. 
When Julie asked Lynette about him, she was surprised to see how little Lynette remembered about the man she dated and got pregnant by. It wasn't clear if she was being cagey or if she genuinely didn't recall the details of that time in her life. But Julie had his name and... My aunt knew him as well, and she knew his mother. And she actually is the one... She's given me more information than my biological mother has. And she also, when I was visiting Australia, handed me a photograph and said, this is all four of your grandparents. And there was a picture of my maternal grandparents and my paternal grandmother and another man that she didn't know was my grandfather or not. She was somebody who was with the grandfather at the time. Wow. But they were all together uh, in this picture, and uh, supposedly they used to go dancing together and were in dance competitions. Is that which right? blew my mind. Yes, yeah, so they socially knew my mother's family, which is why I couldn't wrap my head around my mother not knowing more about where he might be now. Yeah, that makes <laughs> you know sense. I, mean? I understand your question now. So I uh, now had access to the electoral rolls and what was on Ancestry and what have you. So I started researching his name and I researched and I researched and I researched and I could not for the life of me find him. And I started thinking perhaps he didn't exist. I started writing to my mother and my aunt together. I would send them like Facebook messages saying, um, are we trying to protect somebody? <laughs> Is there something you're not telling me? Because I want you to know I'm a big girl. And no matter how ugly this situation may actually have been, I just want answers. And the truth is more important to me than anything. And they continued, my mother especially, continued to say, I don't know. No, it's Malcolm. I'm not hiding anything. I went as far as thinking that perhaps it was a family member or, you know, and there was like so much shame in that and so much, you know, secrecy that if it came out, the whole family would be blown apart. And I told her if it's something that's very dark, I will keep it to myself. I just need to know. Nope, nothing, nothing happened. It was the late 1990s. Julie was so bewildered by everything, she went to GEDmatch with her mother's and her own DNA and used the Are Your Parents Related tool to analyze their data. Still nothing. Her birth parents were not related to one another. By 2014, Julie and Lynette have already done DNA tests and Julie is online learning more about her own. She's searching through family trees for the man's name and variations of the man's name. One day out of the blue, I saw somebody with a tree, a very extensive tree that had um, people with that name or a variation of his name. And they hailed from Ireland, which I should say this. When you first get your ethnicity report from Ancestry, if you're very new to it, you take it very literally. Mm -hmm. And my ethnicity report said that I was like 45% Irish. In hindsight, what that means is it's a region of Ireland, Scotland, and Northern England and part of Wales. But oh. I thought I was Irish. Yeah. That makes <laughs> so sense. I started just looking. Yeah. So I just started looking at people with from Ireland uh, or of Irish descent. So that's how I got to this one woman with that name. And I emailed her and said, Hey, do you have somebody by this name in your tree by chance? I'm just you know, frustrated, I can't find this person. And I gave her as much information as I had. Well, she happened to be a trained genealogist. Oh, wow. And knew how to 
do searches in the databases that I did not yet know how to do. And she came back a few hours later and showed me a picture and said, well, this looks like your grandparents' marriage. And I was like, how did you do that? When the woman found information on Julie's grandparents' marriage, that gave her her grandmother's maiden name, information that was the linchpin to the rest of the mystery. Julie searched the Australian white pages looking for their surnames and just started calling people. Julie's already said she's got pretty good luck with calling people, and it was true on this search, too. About the third phone number she dialed connected her to another open, honest woman on the other end of the line. When Julie asked to be connected to anyone related to the man on the marriage certificate, the woman said, Well, that's my husband's grandfather. Wow. I said, Oh, really? Is he from, and I named the town that they were from, and she said, Yeah, that sounds about right. I said, Was his wife named whatever the name was? And she said, Yeah. Julie continued, naming her grandmother and then her birth father. Then she stopped to tell the woman exactly what her inquiry was really about. She once again said, well, you need to call my sister-in-law, my brother's, or my, my brother's sister, because she's the genealogist in the family, and she'll be able to tell you more. So she gave me the sister-in-law's phone number, and I called her. <laughs> and we started talking, and she gave me as much information as she could. They sent me pictures. They told me stories about my father. and. I now had had a connection to the family, and it was definitely them. It was definitely his family. But they hadn't spoken to him in years, and they didn't know where he was at that point. Well, I'm the detective. I've been doing this a long time, and I know every which way to find somebody. So I found out within a couple of days that he had three other children, and they had very unusual names, unusual first names, or the two girls did. And I also knew about that there was Kim. Uh, who was the aunt from my father's half-sisters. Okay. So I went to Facebook, and I typed in the name of what would be my sister, which is a relatively unusual name. Up comes somebody with that name, living in Adelaide, South Australia. And I looked at her friends list, which was open to the public, and there was somebody with her sister's name and her brother's name, and there was also a Kim, K-Y-M. Bingo. I believe that was my sister. Julie decided to reach out to her new aunt, Kim, instead of shocking one of her siblings. In the early days of Facebook, you had to pay a small fee to direct messages to a person, so Julie gladly paid for her message to go through. Long story short, I went through one of her sons, and he connected her to me, and she read it. And then she got back to me and said, this is all quite shocking. Um, I need to talk to Malcolm. He is alive. Uh, but I will do that, and I'll get back to you in a few days. Longest few days of my life. So finally, after about five days, I said, hi, Kim. Um, I know, you know, you're taking your time with this, but I'm kind of, you know, losing my mind here. Could, is anything happening? And she wrote right back and said, good news. I spoke to Malcolm. He's thrilled to hear about you. And here's his phone number. Were you, were you concerned? So, you know, she said that he didn't care back then. But this is an older guy who might not be the same exactly. dude that he was, Precisely. you know, in his younger days. Were you concerned that he was still that younger guy who wouldn't care? You know what? I really didn't care, to tell you the truth. Because, again, I, 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 was, I was prepared for anyone, for it to be anyone. I just wanted my answers. And it was really more important for me to connect with the family and to be able to trace back 
the genealogy of this family and know where I came from. So I didn't care. And once again, I didn't, I didn't feel an emotional connection. It was just a means to an end, but I absolutely was curious and I wanted to hear his story and what have you. So Julie has Malcolm's phone number and she called him immediately. When he answered the phone, he sounded jovial and he was receptive to talking with Julie. But soon she figured out something wasn't quite right. And he first thing he said was, I'm so mad this happened to you. If I had known, I would have been able to take care of you because I used to go to L.A. all the time. And I used to go and he started naming off car dealerships. Says he used to buy, he said he used to buy cars in Los Angeles and have them shipped to Australia. And he was there all the time and he could have seen me. And I thought, well, that's really weird. And then he talked some more. And every time I'd ask him a question, he would respond with some outlandish response. Like there was always a celebrity connected to it. Um, hmm. And it just seemed too good to be true. I mean, not even, I don't care about celebrities, but it was like, why did he feel that he clearly needed to control the narrative of what I thought of him? Yeah. And uplift himself in your eyes. Yeah. Correct. So within, I would say three minutes of talking to him, I had his number and it was clear this man was pathological liar, which explains a lot of what happened between him and my mother back then. Malcolm and Julie spoke for just under an hour. During that time, he said Lynette never told him she was pregnant. He admitted that his mother knew of the pregnancy, but that the last time he saw Lynette on the street, she burst into tears and ran the other direction. The whole thing just didn't feel right to Julie, but there was one more thing that really rubbed her the wrong way. I asked him questions and questions, and he would tell me all these stories. Never once did he ask anything about me. and. Twice, I said, so do you have any questions for me? And both times he said, yeah, when are you coming to visit me? Very self-centered. He was not, yeah, he was not curious about me or my life or anything. He just assumed that because I was adopted, I had a terrible life, which is not the case. But it was so when I hung out from that first call, it was a really odd feeling. I was like, I I, I didn't know if I was disappointed. I mean, I felt accomplished, but I was a little like, oh, God, how am I going to get the facts from him if he can't tell me any facts? Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. How do you separate the (laughs) lies from the truth? Right. So Julie started reaching out to her siblings, and one of her sisters, Serena, was very open and welcoming. They chatted on Facebook, where the sister admitted Malcolm had just called her to simply blurt out that she had another sister. He didn't leave Serena any context about Julie's emergence. When Julie asked what the deal is with Malcolm, her sister said they should speak by phone. So she was still in touch with him. The other siblings were not. He had basically abandoned his family. He was one of those people that creates a a personality and takes it as far as he can. And then when it turns around and bites him in the butt, he runs away and starts a whole new life. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and if somebody calls him on it, then he doesn't own any of it. And it's, his, it's their fault, and they're the ones who do things wrong. Mm-hmm. And I could tell from the phone conversations that was exactly what was going on. Everybody in the family who didn't talk to him, it was their fault because they did drugs or, or you know, they don't respect my lady or what have you. So, yeah. you know, I was very quickly, I was like, okay, well, at least I have siblings. <laughs> 
They started talking a lot, and a few months later, Serena traveled to Los Angeles to meet Julie, and they formed a bond. Julie had also been doing a lot of research about her paternal side of the family, so she had a ton of information to share with the family back in Australia. When she traveled home again at the end of 2014, Serena was there to support her meeting Malcolm and the family. Even though she knew his personality flaws, it was important to Julie to be able to say that she had been face-to-face -face with her birth father. When she arrived at Malcolm's house, he was in his garage working on restoring an old Volkswagen bus. Within minutes, she caught him in a yarn he had spun about his injury. So he's working on the bus, and, he's, uh, and he sees me, and he comes towards me, and he gives me a hug, and um, he's got a cast or a big bandage on his right arm. And I'm like, what happened here? And he said, oh, yeah, well, and he told me a story saying that uh, when he was in this specific place that was top secret, that uh, he had gotten nuclearized or or thing involving uh, uh, radioactivity, that that had been that he had had he had some kind of a cancer that because of that okay. <laughs> and um, that it was being taken care of and he was fine. So hmm. I thought, well, that's interesting because that looks like it's probably, let me see, it's on his uh, right arm. They have a right-hand hand drive in Australia. Australia is directly under the uh, hole in the ozone layer. He was a truck driver, which means he drove with his arm out the window <laughs> for many years under the hole in the ozone layer. His My guess cancer. is that is probably melanoma. Of course, I knew not to challenge him on any of this. Malcolm proceeded to show Julie a photo album purportedly of photos of his prior life. They were pictures of oil rigs and submarines and other places he had worked, but not one picture featured him. He offered the album to her, but she declined because he wasn't in it. Malcolm shared another album with family members in it, which he also offered to Julie, and she accepted because it actually showed their family members' faces. All the while, Serena was lurking nearby far enough to give Julie and Malcolm space, but close enough to be able to hear everything he said to her. Every time she'd come into the room, he'd move us to another room because he didn't want her hearing what he was saying mm -hmm. to me. After three hours, Julie had had enough, and she was ready to leave. But before she departed, Malcolm agreed to do a 23andMe DNA test. I met him the next day. He brought him, his sister, to meet me at my hotel, which was lovely. She's a lovely person. And I got to spend a little time with her. And then that's the last time I saw either of them. Since Julie was all the way across the world already, she and her childhood friend Sharon decided to get together again. The girlfriends took an amazing road trip to Victoria together, stopping in on different branches of the family, having many reunions along the way. It was very cool. And I had no less than five reunions with different branches um, from both of his parents' sides, and it was really cool. And a lot of people shared a lot of things with me, and I was able to share things with them that they didn't know. There was a couple of people, extended relatives, that were not happy with me being there because I had uncovered a couple of things that I think they had wanted to take to their grave. Mm -hmm. That happens with older people in families. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I'm all about truth. So I was like, no, 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 this is really cool. <laughs> we need to know this. I mean, it was a horrible thing, but we learned from our past, and it's something that happened. Yeah, yeah. You know. That's so funny. So I, I 
I don't believe in sweeping anything under the rug. That's just me. And I, you know, I, I understand that they're uncomfortable with it, but yeah, it was also know, a different all, time for, our... for a lot of things too. Sure. Absolutely. Julie said that was an amazing time for her. She returned to the States in December and submitted Malcolm's 23andMe DNA sample. And on January 1st, it came back and he's not my father. Are you kidding me? You sat there for three hours <laughs> and endured this guy. Uh-huh. Wow. Yep. So he's not my dad. All these people who I told, you know, was uh, told about their family and <sighs> met them because I thought we were related. And all this money that I spent. <laughs> traveling across the country and and across the world um, was for not because I didn't take it. He didn't do a DNA test first. Julie clarified that she did ask Malcolm to take a DNA test before, but the test never reached 23andMe's lab. He sent his sample directly from Australia, and at that time, the company was not accepting test samples unless they came from the original person it was sent to. So she spent money to go to Australia to find these people investigated their family tree, and spent hours on the road driving from place to place, exposing long-held family secrets only to discover she wasn't related to their family. Julie was disappointed, but she was only operating on the information she was given by her mother, Lynette. And by the way, my mother has insisted, even since that came back, that she's never been with anybody other than her husband and Malcolm. Okay, Nobody. well, that doesn't really seem realistic, does it? No, it does not. And oh. as many times as I've tried to say, okay, do you think you were drugged? Do you think that you have amnesia? Is there something else? Blah, 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 blah. And she's like, and the thing that bothered me the most about it is that she doesn't seem that concerned. When I told her, well, this is weird. Malcolm's DNA doesn't match me. Her response was, that is weird. But she didn't have a response. She didn't have a, she couldn't explain it. Of course, the next logical thing to do was to have Lynette's husband, John, take a DNA test because nothing was making sense. Julie admitted that when she met Malcolm, she was taken aback by his height, six foot three, Lynette's height, five foot nine, and then her own height, five foot three. How did Julie get to be so short? Still, the dates for Julie's conception with John didn't line up because the story was Lynette met John when she was already pregnant with Julie. But John's test came back negative too. Julie spent months trying to jog Lynette's memory as to where she had been, whom she used to know, and speculating on all kinds of scenarios like Lynette's being drugged and not knowing she had been with another man. She would give me names of people that she had known, but she said she'd never slept with them. And she also said she never did drugs or drank, which I don't care if she did. So I took that as maybe she was sending me signals. So there are at least three DNA tests that I have administered to complete strangers that I have called and have allowed me to test them. Wow. Because they are related to these people. <laughs> and nary a single one has come up as a match. But I'm stunned at how open people are to helping me by giving me their DNA. Yeah, it really is so, kind of amazing. Yeah, it is. It is. In 2017, Julie was resigned to the fact that her mother would not be a source of honest information. The only thing she could do was rely on her own DNA matches, but 
she didn't have anything closer than a fourth cousin. Then, one day out of the blue, she got a paternal match that seemed to be an aunt or a cousin. She did some sleuthing, found the person on Facebook, sent her a message through Ancestry DNA, then immediately turned to her friends in an online genealogy group in Australia to recruit some help. All of a sudden, I get a pop-up message from that exact person who happened to be in that spot who said, Hi, Julie, I just sent you a message. So I was like, oh, no. Okay, so I... <laughs> Wait, you weren't supposed to see that. <laughs> so I, because I stalked her Facebook page, basically. Right, right. As I do, as, I mean, that's what we do. It's it just is. what we do, Damon. Absolutely. You know. So, so she talked to me and said, this is my partner's uh, test. And I said, okay, is there a tree? Is there a family tree? And she said, yeah, let me check with his family that it's okay to show it because it's a private tree. The family granted Julie access to the tree, and she immediately started making a mirror tree, replicating the information on their family tree to find the places where she might fit into their lineage. With the help of some DNA detectives, she was able to figure out many of the connections, understand the branch of the tree she had come from, and... I narrowed it down within a few days to my father being one of two brothers. Her original cousin Match's name is Hunter. Perusing Hunter's Facebook contacts, she noticed one person's profile in particular that stood out. It turned out this guy was the son of one of the two brothers. Julie introduced herself as a cousin and suggested they might even be closer than cousins. Walking him through an explanation of how she arrived in his messenger box, Julie sent the man to her blog where she has documented her full story. Reading her journey allowed him to digest exactly how she arrived at her conclusion. And he was so open to it and just warm and welcoming and like, you know, this is going to change our lives as we know it. But of course, you know, I think we all want answers. And so he agreed to take a test. And the theory was that the test would either come back as him as a first cousin match or a half sibling match, which would tell us which was my father because his father passed away 10 years ago. Oh. And yeah. so what was the result? And the other one... The result was he's my half-brother. Is that right? So, yep. So I now know who my father is. I have an amazing half-brother. I have two other half-brothers and a half-sister. And I now know who my family is. That's and really I have gone, incredible. I have, I've researched my tree way back to, well, the best thing I can say is that I have identified all 32 of my third great-grandparents wow. on both sides. So now my biggest curiosity then is, what did your birth mom say? Never heard of him. I'm not going to get anything from her. That's Never. all she can say. There's nothing she can do. And I, I, I wrestle with this because she's a really good person, a really good, decent person. And I have to go back and forth between, does she have amnesia or has this been a lie that she's been telling for so long that it's become truth to her and yeah. she's blocked it out or just believed it herself or maybe I don't know but she's she's not giving <laughs> there's nothing I can do about it but science doesn't lie and I have my answers and my father looks like me he looks like my children and I, ha I know that I'm connected to this family. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. So, 
Wow. So that's the story. What a crazy adventure you've been on. I never anticipated you were going to say you went all the way to Australia and then found out it wasn't him. And then to find him and have her say, never heard of him. That's that's incredible. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. It is. Yeah, it happens a lot. A lot of mothers are in absolute denial about that. And I, it's so sad. I feel so sad for the children of these mothers who won't give yeah. an inch, who won't just because uh, they're denying people of their birthright. Yeah. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with us because, you know, most people get to know both sides of their family. They get to know at least who they are. And why are the, where the ones that have to be in the dark because of something that you did or some shame that you felt or, yeah, it's a constant, it's a constant thing I struggle with that I, I wish more people would um, be open. But I think, as you said, the uh, DNA testing has changed the face of genealogy. Absolutely. And there aren't any secrets anymore. And I've, since, since this happened less than a year ago, I have found, uh, Five people's fathers for them. Is that right? Just using DNA. Jeez. Yeah. Wow, Julie, thank you. This so that's was. The story. I mean, wow, you've got quite an adventure there. That's really incredible. Thank you so much for sharing. This is this is really un- unbelievable. You're welcome. Thank yeah, you. Yes, I, it's something that I I like to tell just because it, it, it people it, it the truth is stranger than fiction. Uh, has never been more true in this case. <laughs> I know. You you nailed it. Wow, that's incredible. Well, thank you so much again. Okay. I appreciate your time. Take care, Julie. All the best. Thanks, Damon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, it's me, and I'm still shocked at the breadth of Julie's adventure. It must have been just amazing to finally hear the circumstances of her adoption from Lynette. So many times... That's all we want, answers about how and why we got to be where we are. But it can be troubling when you finally realize that the whole truth hasn't been told and the rest of the mystery is up to you to uncover. Some of us give up, but Julie dug deeper, making mirror trees and relying on DNA detectives to help her decipher clues. After listening to the self-centered stories of a man Julie felt was a pathological liar, It must have been such a huge relief to have finally learned the identity of her real father from her own brother. Julie says that since she found her own answers, she's sort of serving as a search angel, giving back to the community using the tools, resources, and knowledge she's accumulated to help others. If you'd like to read Julie's blog, check out myelusivehistory.blogspot.com. I'll put a link in the notes. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you'll find something in Julie's journey that inspires you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn. Who am I really? If you would like to share your adoption journey and your attempt to connect with your biological family, please visit whoamireallypodcast.com share. You can choose to share your whole story, maintain privacy about parts of your story, or share completely anonymously. You can find the show at facebook.com slash WAI Really or follow me on Twitter at WAI Really. And please, if you like the show, you can support me at patreon.com slash WAI Really. You can subscribe to Who Am I Really on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, 
it would mean so much to me if you would take a moment to share a rating or leave a comment. Those ratings can help others to find the podcast too.